I'm Roger, and this is Two Vets Upstate. We've got a great conversation ahead today. As always, give us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. It really does help us to reach a wider audience. So I guess first things first, Andrea, what are you eating or drinking today? So this is really pathetic. I am eating um, my third container of Chobani, which is from New York, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, today and uh, drinking water out of an Aldine. So everyone, I'm TDY and my... uh, I'm on reserve orders, and this TDY is not as fun as the last one that we recorded from. I'm in Virginia Beach and <laughs> did one round of grocery shopping, and I'm eating the same food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, missing <laughs> terribly. <laughs> but I was home earlier this week, and I definitely had half a carton of Stewart's Cotton Candy Ice Cream. Ah, uh, that sounds amazing. That yeah. Sounds what about you, Roger? Well, uh, I'm still saving that nine pin for you uh, because I feel like I can't eat it or drink it like every episode. So keep it uh, cold. It is. It's right there in the fridge. So right now I'm drinking uh, Earl Grey tea because I'm a tired dad and it's been a long day. Uh, And also Miller High Life because uh, I was recently looking over the community grid solution for the city of Milwaukee and how they've dealt with uh, repairs to their highway infrastructure and hopes that something like that can succeed in downtown Syracuse. Uh, there have been a lot of newspaper churn over the proposed solution to I-81, some aging viaducts in the area that are in need of repair. And a lot of folks in the area, including common counselor Joe Driscoll and the recently the Post Standard, Syracuse's newspaper, have proposed some awesome solutions. So, What's new with you these days, Andrea? I know you're on orders, but uh, what what else is going on? Yeah, so this is Navy Andrea as opposed to civilian Andrea. Yeah, just a lot of travel. Um, you know, it was really remarkable. I went out to California for basically a day. Um, wow. For, well, it was for my last year's uh, retirement Um Commander Mike Weisskopf, really exceptional officer, really excited to see what he does next. Um, And it was also just a great opportunity to catch up with some of my former teammates who are still out there. Um, One of my mentors who I also got to catch up with. And it was just a really, you know, great opportunity to reflect on the meaning of service and about just deeply caring about people. Um, So that was, that was new <laughs> or rather that was what's new with me. Um, but not as cool as you, Roger. So what's new with you, Roger? Well, so I was at work Friday afternoon and at work a lot longer than I wanted to be when I got a text from my wife that said, Oh my God, get home right now. So when your wife says get home right now, you get in the car and you get home right now. But she wanted me to see our daughter, 12 and a half months old now, took her first steps this weekend. Ah, oh, my uh, God. Which is just part of the plan for her eventual world domination. Very fun. Uh, she only walks to the cat or to her mother, uh, which is fine by me. 
we're loving it. She is doing new stuff every day, which uh, I feel very uh, lucky and fortunate uh, to be a part of her life. We've recently rounded the I only want mom phase, and now we're doing fun things with dad, which uh, is always good. And and uh, we just bought our tickets to go back up to Syracuse at the end of the month for the New York State Fair. So it'll be her first fair experience. Uh, we're looking forward to all the 4-H stuff, all the Ferris wheels and wine slushies and everything good that that Syracuse has to offer. Awesome. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, and I'm also super jealous because I've never actually been to the New York state fair, although the Columbia (sighs) County, the Columbia County fair is pretty sweet. (laughs) Um, for our listeners, Roger and I have been trying to coordinate like a great upstate New York ice cream tasting to potentially do on the podcast. I mean, I know you can't like see ice cream on a podcast, but we figure it out. Um, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Stay tuned. We are definitely going to do this, even if it's in the dead of winter. <laughs> so what else is going on in New York? Uh, a lot of things. A lot of, I think, good news stories uh, for once. Uh, the Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans, or EBV, uh, finished just a few days ago, I think. Uh, it's a nine-day intensive program for veterans uh, who are focused on starting and building a business. And they also... Uh, help especially uh, veterans with disabilities, which I think is awesome. That's a program supported by Syracuse University's Institute for Veterans and Military Families. And of the 30 veterans to participate, I think there were like 30 vets from 16 states and Puerto Rico, I think. Uh, Six of them were from upstate New York, which is just awesome. So IVMF is doing great things. And the National Veterans Resource Center, which is currently being built on the campus of SU, is shaping up to be just beautiful. It'll hold IVMF, everything related, the Office of Veteran Military Affairs at SU, all the ROTC uh, units that are sort of dispersed now. So lots of great, great stuff happening for veterans uh, at Syracuse University. Awesome. Awesome. In other news, um, the American Legion New York just swore in its 100th commander for the first time is an Iraq war veteran. So congrats to Gary Schachter of Cobalt Skill, which is not too far from where I live. Um, he was sworn in at the state convention in Rochester last weekend. He is a 26-year Navy veteran, go Navy, who served in Fallujah um, from 2004 to 2005. And also a shout out to the woman he succeeded as commander, Rena Nessler, who was the first woman to command the Legion in New York ever. Um, and also in American Legion, New York history, I sent in my membership application to my local post. All right. Um, in Hudson, New York. So yeah, um, the post commander, um, was really excited. His what he's all, his wife is a veteran as well. So, um, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I guess on the topic of veterans, uh, agencies and organizations, I just want to put out a general call to anybody with web master website building experience. There are a lot of people doing a lot of amazing things to connect veterans. And we know that veterans, especially in upstate New York, tend to skew towards the older side of veterans around the country. And that's okay. But as 
use of the internet becomes more ubiquitous in all areas and for people regardless of how old you are, uh, regardless of whether you're a digital native or not, having good websites that can function well together, that link together, and that are the doorway to a lot of great resources that exist at the state, the local, or the federal level, I think is very important. So it would be nice to see uh, people come out of the woodworks in New York and volunteer their time to help organize these websites a little better. If you're interested, uh, feel free to reach out to us at the show page or on social media, and we can start to uh, connect the dots and uh, provide better resources for more people. And also Services School is hiring a web designer. Boom. (laughs) Shameless plug. All right. We got it in. (laughs) All right. Hey, what's, uh, what else is going on across the nation, Andrea, that impacts veterans? Well, Robert Wilkie was finally confirmed as VA secretary. Um, It should be very interesting to see what he does now that he's officially in the spot. Um, Where it is, the reports are that he's going to try to handle um, some of the appointees who have really been um, really hurting morale, to say the least, in the department. That's certainly something that, um, you know, he's certainly got his hands full. Um, There have been a lot of questions about how he's going to support transgender veterans. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have someone in the seat. It'll be good to walk into the clinic. Um, you know, I've transferred to the VA in Albany and it'll be good to see a picture next to the president as opposed to an empty space on the wall. Um, yeah. So what else is going on the nation impacting veterans, Roger? Well, a a little bit of, well, let's, let's call it motherhood or, or fatherhood. A little bit of parenting here uh, for the conduct of veterans and excuses that we make, I guess, for one another. Uh, last week, the president spoke at the Veterans of Foreign Wars National Convention in Kansas City. He did the typical Trump thing. I'm not going to excuse it or normalize it, but I'm tired. And I don't really want to go into what he said, other than to say that he at this event, which was supposed to be celebrating veterans, he made a lot of negative derogatory remarks about the press, about the media, right? And it was reported that some people in the crowd, ostensibly veterans who attended, uh, started to jeer and mock and boo uh, the reporters who were there covering the event. This was sort of behavior, first of all, the president's words were immediately condemned, as they frequently are, from a number of reputable, honorable sources around the country. But the VFW also released a tweet and said that they were disappointed to hear some of our members boo the press during President Trump's remarks. We rely on the media to spread the VFW message and CNN, NBC News, ABC, Fox, CBS, and others on site today were our invited guests, and we were happy to have them there. It's important for us to remember that the press, for all of our beliefs, opinions about bias, is actually there with our military members and has been for decades, alongside us, helping to bring stories of service and sacrifice and valor from the front lines to 
our television sets, our newspapers, our smartphones and tablets. They take a lot of risk to do that. And nobody's asking them. They're not getting paid extraordinarily well to do it. They do it because it's what they believe in. And to denigrate and boo that service really is what it is, is, is small. It's just smaller than the veterans community. And we ought to do better than that. We ought to aspire to be better than that, I think, because it's what people expect of us. So that's just my plug to say, let's hold ourselves to a higher standard and let's treat our press colleagues as truly the, the colleagues that they are. Yes, we love the press. We swore to uphold the Constitution and the First Amendment was you know, something that we fought for. So, you know, we really, really should support our, our colleagues um, who are doing the really, really challenging work of doing Muslim. Speaking of the press and newspapers, Andrea, I want to get into the bulk of our conversation today. We haven't had a chance, just the two of us, you and I, on this podcast to really talk uh, for yeah. a while, really since the first episode. So it will be good for us to take an opportunity to do that today and talk about the fact that you recently had an op-ed published in the Times Union newspaper. Um, I did. Yeah. I thought this was a really important topic, especially after our most recent podcast episode with Matt Zeller. And I'm wondering, can you give us a rundown of it and and talk about why did you decide to write it? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, because we didn't really do shout outs this week, I need to do one, which is to my mom, who may or may not be listening to this. (laughs) I actually recently, so I recently moved back to New York um, I didn't say that in what, when, you know, what's new with me because just really the last two weeks have been a blur, but I moved, I packed up a U-Haul and I moved back to New York, um, you know, put everything into storage because I don't move into my, my house until September. I'm living with my parents, uh, for most of August. Um, and then, you know, immediately moved in and immediately had to go to California and pack for my reserve duty and like just was a mess. Um, I was just, you know, I, you know, I hustle, but it's exhausting. Um, and so, you know, my mom has been such an awesome Navy mom. Um, I mean, she's just an awesome mom in general, but especially dealing with like the challenge of me being gone so much, me being on the move so much, she still is just so supportive. Um, so she gets a shout out. Yes. And Andrea's mom, you are awesome. Yes. Aileen. Um, and by the way, also I, when I just went home, I told her and my stepdad about this podcast and they didn't listen to it, which is pretty impressive. (laughs) Uh, you know, a funny story about our last podcast is, uh, our, our guest, uh, speaking of parents, right. Uh, -hmm. our guest, Matt Zeller, uh, actually deployed to Afghanistan with my dad, my dad's national guard deployment so they know each other pretty well and uh it's a a sign of high praise when my dad speaks favorably of people and he spoke favorably of matt so small small world uh small military yes so um the times union so i I published an op-ed in the times union um really talking about um the value of immigrants in upstate New York. Um, so as you may know, um, you know, a number of our upstate cities were dying for quite some time and have really had a revival in large part to 
immigrants, settling in the communities, investing in the communities, staying in the communities. Uh, in Western New York, up in Buffalo, um, immigrants have brought about $2 billion to the local economy. So um, it's not a small penny. And those numbers um, look very similar, even in, in smaller cities like Utica. Um, so I wrote about that, but I wrote about it in the context of having, you know, I am Jewish. I am the descendant of refugees. Um, my great-grandparents came here fleeing pogroms. My grandmother came here fleeing the Holocaust. And I'm very aware of how I've had a life that has been very, I mean, everything I have is because my family was welcomed here and was welcomed in different parts of New York State. And that was something that was really worth fighting for and still is. And so there's a lot that, that you can do in your home communities. You can have, you know, have dinner with um, an immigrant family. You know, we did something at the Fletcher School called, uh, we, we did culinary diplomacy where we would have students over at our homes or you would go over to another student's house and they would cook something, a, a dish from their home country. Um, you can do that in your own community. You can volunteer to be an interpreter. You know, frankly, there are, it's, it's been several weeks on, but families are still separated and a lot of immigrants are still detained and many of them are being held in different parts of New York and you can go be an interpreter and support them. There's so many things that you can do. And so that's, that's really what, um, what I was writing about. So why, why did you decide to write this? And, and I guess more importantly, why, why now? I joined the military because I knew how lucky I was that I just had this life where I was only ever considered American. You know, my family was able to thrive here in the United States. And it was very much because America kept its promise to my family. And I wanted to help keep that promise for others. Um, that was why I served. And to see, you know, from the outright cancellation of the MAVNI program to family separation, like this was just the hill that I'm willing to die on. It just is so counter to everything that to, to all of my core values and to every reason I chose to put on the uniform. And so I wanted to say something about it. It's been just deeply tragic that in this moment in time, we are going back to that old familiar trope of politicians using fear of the unknown or fear of immigrants to push their agendas or to really whitewash over their own moral or policy shortcomings. How do we fight back against those kinds of people who paint immigrants as, as evil and as danger and a terror and a menace to society? People are, in, are, people are tribal. And there's so much of a, of a desire to pick, pick of them, right? And so people, we paint immigrants as, as them, especially if they don't have the same skin color or religion as us. It's so much harder to, to place the blame on someone who's frankly less fortunate than you are than look at these 
because often the people who are, you know, trying to create that fear and paint blame are distracting from other issues. They're distracting from the fact that we have tremendous income inequality that um, we still have, that our, that our neighbors are dying from drug addiction. You know, we still haven't fully addressed those. And so just to stoke outright rage against people who are coming here for a better life is really a means of distracting from talking about other issues that matter. Now, how do we fight back against people who paint immigrants as evil? I wouldn't say fight. I am almost always of the perspective that the most important thing that we can do is continue to be kind and continue to be positive and talk about to talk about our neighbors, you know, talk about rather than talking about giving a counter message, just having a constant positive conversation, you know, inviting people over to dinner, right. Talking about our own lived experience. I mean, we're all like my, certainly I'm two generations removed from, from um, being an immigrant. And what's, what's really, what I find really interesting is that, when people see, when it's someone that's in their own neighborhood, when it's someone that they can sit down and have dinner with, when it's someone that you can go to work next to, all of a sudden, a lot of the, that, that fear melts away. Yep. So I, in the article, I gave some recommendations on how to do that. And I think that's something that we all really just need to constantly do is, is talk about my own military service was complicated. I, I, I served in some non-traditional units and served next to entire units of people who are Muslim and yeah. would absolutely go into battle with them. And those are the kinds of things like when people talk about immigrants. So I, I didn't have interpreters in my unit. Every single, but so many people that I've served with talk about how their interpreter saved their life. Yep. Right. Yep. And those are those are stories that I will constantly tell. And this is something why it's so important for veterans to be telling these stories is that there's a lot of trust that's put into us. We are bridge builders. You know what's what's always struck me is, and we do this in a lot of a lot of fronts, right? It's, it's like the argument that we want our kids to grow up and study hard and get a good education. But then when they leave home and get a good education and come back, we, we ostracize them for being elitist, right? It's, it's this notion that America and the American dream are something to strive for. Um, But then when people do strive for them and they come to this country, through whatever means, right? Um, however you can, as a parent, as an individual, you are going to be trying to give your family a better life than you had. Um, once these people get here, and especially those who have been here for decades, we paint them as evil and bad and wrong, and we ostracize them. And it makes not a smidgen of sense because... In their situation, we would do the exact same thing. You know, America is the land of opportunity. At least that's what I was taught growing up in Red Creek. 
human beings strive to opportunity. So it just aggravates me when I hear people talk about immigrants as lazy or uh, wrong or evil or illegal. No, no human being is illegal. They're still people. And we still got to treat them like people. And the fact that we still got kids in cages, we've still got kids who haven't been reunited with their parents for months. But we have kids in Arizona who are reporting abuse at the hands of government workers at these detention facilities is unacceptable. It's beneath us as, as people. And this is exactly, I think, as you bring up in your article, Andrea, what we should expect of our government, right? You say America has failed to keep its promises before, but in our upstate New York communities, we can do everything. We have to do everything we can to keep that from happening again. I thought I thought that was spot on. Yeah, I mean, this is and this is the other thing. Um, it's also a lot harder to see. I didn't even know about this till graduate school um, that U.S. involvement in Latin America in the 1980s created some of the destabilizing factors that are forcing people to flee. They are fleeing (laughs) to create these conditions and then shut the door. I mean, just, it just, I find it deeply upsetting. These people are traveling thousands and thousands of miles and many of them are claiming asylum, which is legal. Um, and so then to treat them as if they're criminals for doing exactly what they're supposed to do just seems wrong to me. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's just funny, the revolving door of excuses that people use to put immigrants down. Things like, oh, they take our jobs. Well, we're a nation right now facing a critical labor shortage. And the skills and quality of worker that we need is exactly what we're missing by alienating immigrants ditto to the oh we're just paying them government benefits and welfare time after time i don't know how many times we can refute this claim right but immigrants pay taxes in this country they pay billions and billions of dollars in taxes but they're not eligible for almost any of the benefits that those taxes go towards providing. So they're actually getting an exceptionally raw deal. Yeah. I mean, like, thanks for paying for my GI bill, guys. (laughs) Right. It's time to treat human beings as human beings. Uh, America ought to celebrate its diversity and we ought to be proud of that. There's no, it doesn't take away anything from my life to celebrate the heritage of another person, right? That doesn't take away from me. It doesn't make me less special. There is room in this country for everybody. There is room to be happy and to celebrate for everybody. There is room for joy in this country for multiple cultures, for multiple people who all at the end of the day can together be proud to be Americans. So Andrea, as we think about how we get past this moment and how especially veterans can use their powers for good, um, how, can, how can we be involved to change the narrative and to keep it positive moving forward? So I'm really excited about the work that Vets for American Ideal, Ideals does. 
they are currently advocating for bringing over our combat interpreters from Iraq and Afghanistan, advocating for, um, particularly for the SIV, the Special Immigrant Visa Program, but um, there are a couple of other special visa programs for um, combat interpreters and their families to come over to the U.S. Um, so they're doing really incredible work. It's by partisan, it's by Camel, and it's a really good way to uh, get involved in a very meaningful way. Um, so that's something that veterans can do. Matt Zeller talked about last week about encouraging the VFW and other veteran service organizations to bring those who serve next to us, give them honorary status. And I think another thing that's really important for veterans to do is just really have a candid discussion of our service. Um, you know, I think what, something that I really, that, that I find very meaningful is that while everything has been increasingly politicized and yes, veterans have been increasingly politicized, unfortunately, there's still a lot of forums where, where they're nonpartisan or bipartisan on veterans issues. Um, the SIVs, the special immigrant visas are one of them. Um, another is, you know, the veterans advisory committee that I'm part of in upstate New York in my, in my congressional district. Yes, it belongs to um, a member of Congress who's from one party, but their members, the membership is again, you know, people from, different kinds of political backgrounds, but we're there to take care of our fellow veterans and fellow neighbors. And I just hope that we can take that kind of energy and spirit of collaboration and take it to other parts of our community, because that's what we had to do in the military. You know, we came from all walks of life and ultimately had a mission to achieve. Well said, uh, definitely keep the mission and keep the service alive. So Andrea, what is next for you other than counting down the days until Stewart's and or burn dairy ice cream can be consumed? So I've got this one more week of reserve duty. I've got a couple of articles in the hopper. So um, hopefully you'll see some of those coming out soon. Um, a couple of them are writing about um, this is totally not too vets of state related at all, but it's really important to me. The Navy has been forcing some uniform changes onto female officers for years. And this Ugh. is the first year that and we've been fighting it. And we kind of got a two year stay of execution on the issue. <laughs> Guys, like female officers are being forced to pay $800 out of pocket, not being reimbursed for it. And it's something that male officers don't have to do. Unacceptable. And especially as a reservist who does not. <laughs> wear my uniform as often and does not make as much money. It hurts. Yeah. So I'm writing, a, I'm writing two articles about that. And then, you know, a couple of other things coming down the line. I'll be back up in New York this week. I'll be in New York for a solid two weeks straight without getting on a plane. It's going to be glorious. Yeah. And then if you are, you know, if we happen to have listeners who I know that I'll be at the with service to school at the Warrior Scholar Project at Columbia on Saturday. So that's, you know, that catches us up to our next episode. What about you, Roger? I am going to continue to try to teach my daughter how to speak the English language, which is always an adventure every day. She has started to actually use some sign language. Uh, today I was 
feeding her dinner and we, my wife made some pulled pork, which is great. And I cooked up some broccoli and I had the pork on her plate. She wasn't eating it. And then I started to feed her broccoli and she ate it, which I thought, okay, great. But then I tried to feed her more broccoli. She threw the pork on the floor, vehemently made the sign for more and pointed to the broccoli, (laughs) which I said, who is this person? (laughs) I am going to take these days while they are here and the eating of vegetables is coming easy. uh, I am also working on a couple of pieces as well, hopefully to be published. I'm taking a a round turn on a lot of environmental issues impacting our state, uh, especially uh, the recent news about the Trump administration uh, decided they would stop taking payments from drillers and miners and other corporations who do damage to the environment as part of their business expansion. Um, This goes against decades worth of standard that protects communities, protects the environment, and protects our children. A lot of unintended consequences of this move, and I'm exploring them and and asking questions of people um, in central and upstate New York. What else? You know, I'm really just excited to get back to upstate New York and hiking and ice cream and, and lakes that I can't swim in because of algal blooms. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> I feel like we talked about that here. <laughs> we, we, we did. We did, folks. You know, I was like falling asleep when Roger was talking about algal blooms and then lo yeah. and behold, I can't swim in a yeah. lake kinderhook. <laughs> Go to YouTube. If, you do, if you've never, if you think we're crazy... YouTube harmful algal blooms and prepare not to sleep at night anymore. Uh, I'll put them in the show notes. So (laughs) Andrea, I, I think that wraps it about up. What do you think? I think so too. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Till next time. Have a good night. Bye.